Um, turn in your Bibles, make your way to Paul's letter to the Colossian church, chapter 2. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. So that's Colossians chapter 2. Let me get there myself, that'd be good. Second chapter. Keep your hands up. Dale's got some in the back, very good. Over here in the front, Ben. <laughs> Look. And then turn around. More hands here. Mike. Another one there, Ben. Look, this side. Wow. There we go. And don't forget your cousins up here in the front. These two. Kristen and Mike, Andy. Woo. All right. Next week, I promise you, we'll make sure they're on the podium back there so you'll see them coming in. You'll notice on one side, I found this really, I thought, excellent outline of Colossians. It kind of just lays out Paul's argument and where he's going, what he's actually trying to say. So that's for your help and edification later. Um, the other side will be our outline for today. Um, a number of years, many years ago, there was a lady, I was telling my daughter about her this week, my daughter Ellie, or Emma, excuse me, um, about a lady named Fanny Crosby. Does that ring a bell to anybody? It should, if you've been in church any lately. Fanny Crosby was a famous hymn writer. I should have looked up how many hymns. It's in the hundreds of hymns that she has written over the years. And, um, and she would, most of the time, she would write the lyrics and the tune together. And God gave her the lyrics to a song, I mean, just as clear as could be one night. And, and in a matter of minutes, she had the lyrics and the chorus, everything. And she could not find a tune to go with those lyrics. I don't know if any of you have ever written music or a song and tried that. It's, it's hard to do both. Normally she could, but for some reason it just, it just didn't work for her. Great lyrics, no tune. And uh, she, she, uh, Fanny was blind, too, by the way. Fanny Crosby was, was blind. And uh, she went to visit a friend of hers named Phoebe Knapp. And uh, Phoebe was an accomplished organist. And as she came up to Phoebe's uh, stoop, her, door, her, her front of her house, she heard the most beautiful melody that perfectly fit the lyrics that God, the words that God gave her. And so she rushed in and, 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 and met with her, her friend, Miss Phoebe Knapp, and she said, you're not going to believe this. She said, but I have got the words to that tune. She said, God gave them to me about two weeks ago. And, and Phoebe Knapp turned to her and said, well, you're not going to believe this. She said, God gave me this melody two weeks ago with no lyrics. <laughs> And so they put them together to a song that's been, always been one of my favorites, Blessed Assurance. Anyone remember that song? Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, that's what we are. Purchase of God, born of His Spirit and washed in His blood. And then the chorus is what? This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Amen? And, that, and it's a beautiful song. Um, and a great story behind that song. But what's more beautiful than the song itself is what the song is about. There is nothing like that blessed assurance. There really isn't. And Paul is going to show us today in this letter to the Colossians 
how that is true in his life and how it is true in the life of the Colossian believers who were being influenced and tempted to be drawn away from that assurance through some false teachers. So to begin with this morning, let me back up to Colossians 1. You're in Colossians 2. Look, look up above. I'm not going to re-preach the last two weeks, but I think the context is important. So I'm going to start in chapter 1, verse 24. Because I want to give you the context of what Paul is saying. And here's what he says. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And what is that word? The mystery, and Jay preached on this last week so well, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed. Now, who is this mystery revealed to? What's it say, church? To his saints, to you people, is what Paul is saying to the Colossians. This mystery that's been, been, been hidden for all these generations, God has decided to reveal it to, of all people, you. So he's encouraging them. To them God willed to make known, this is amazing, what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, and here, here it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the confident expectation of that glory. Him, that's Christ, we preach. How do we do that? Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom to what end? Here it is, that we may present how many? Every man perfect, and that means complete, in Christ Jesus. To this end, to what end? To seeing these believers, these saints at Colossae mature into this complete um, person in Christ. To this end, I labor. I also labor. Now notice this word, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So Paul is here saying, look, I'm happy to suffer for you. And I am. I'm going through it. I'm, matter of fact, I'm in prison right now. But I am suffering for you. And here's why. Because I, I want to see you grow up and become a mature follower of Christ. And I'm not going to be satisfied till all of you are that way. And this suffering, yeah, that's part of it. And it's not a part to be uh, concerned about. It's not a part to run away from. It's something to run towards. So I'm running towards this suffering because Jesus is worth it. He said, and I'm, I'm going to live the rest of my life trying to grow people up in the gospel and make them look just like Jesus. And I'm working hard at it. But he says, but at the end of this, he says, but hey, it's not me. I don't want you to think this is my labor that I'm doing. No, he works in me powerfully through the Holy Spirit. And I'm just cooperating with that. And I am glad to do it. Now, now, the reason I read that first is because, and you understand this, the chapter and verse divisions were not in the Bible. This was just a letter. You ever get a letter? In the, well, we don't get letters in the mail anymore, do we? But, but uh, like in a long email. That's, that's terrible, isn't it? Lisa's laughing over here. You get a long email. It doesn't have chapters. Some of them should have chapters and verses, right? But they don't. And this didn't either. It was just a letter. And I, and I read that first part because this is a horrible place to put chapter 2. 
This is a continuation of Paul saying, I'm so glad to suffer for you uh, because I want to see you grow up into Jesus. And I want you to continue where you started in this pure, simple gospel. It's no problem. And I'm working so hard, and the Holy Spirit is the one that's given me the power to do it. And there should be no chapter 2 here, but there is. So let's look at the next. Don't think chapter 2, but just continue this argument. Next verse. And here, 4. That 4 means because. So, 4, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. Now, remember, this was, this was the church at Colossae, and Laodicea is just a mile away, just up the river a little bit. He's, and he says, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So he never met these people, but he has this great conflict for them. What's the conflict, Paul? Here, here's what's got me twisted up. That their hearts may be encouraged. Anybody need your heart encouraged this morning? That your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance, there it is, of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom, this is in Christ now, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, this I say, now here's my reason for telling you this, this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit. And here's what he's saying. I'm rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So uh, I want to talk to you today for just a few minutes. So we're just going to unpack that passage of Scripture right there. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I want to talk to you about blessed assurance. Uh, blessed assurance. The first thing I see in chapter number one, or verse number one is that this assurance that Paul speaks of here, this, this, this blessed assurance, is for Paul, for Paul, it is a pastoral priority. So Paul is like uh, a pastor of pastors. Uh, there's a word for that in some circles. It was a biblical word called a bishop. So Paul was the pastor to the pastors. Um, and Epaphras was obviously the guy that God used to plant and birth these churches. But Paul felt like those are, even though I've never seen you, you're my people. Because Jesus is mine, Jesus is yours, we are brothers and sisters. And, and I have this, this older brother mentality towards you. And, and I want you to have this assurance. So we go back to what he says there in verse 1. For I want you to know... What a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So Paul's saying here that um, it was a great struggle he was having, and he had never met these people. Isn't that weird? I mean, that's, the world looks at that and says that's strange. Don't you have enough of your own people to worry about? You never even met these people, and you're all twisted up about them? Paul says, oh yeah, let me tell you, I never met you. But I have a great conflict in me, a great struggle. Let me talk to you about that struggle for a little bit here. That word struggle that's used there is, is the word for two men wrestling and fighting. It's the pushing back and forth. It's, 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 it's that physical. And, and I see in here, first of all, that that struggle is powerful. It's powerful. 
Um, the word that he uses there for great struggle uh, is the word agon, for which we get the word agony from. Can you, can you see that? It, it, is, it is this, this deep agony. And, and the thing that comes to my mind there, uh, you ladies that have given birth, you know what that deep agony is like, don't you? And Paul uses that example in Romans that, that it's like birth pangs. <laughs> I'm in labor for you until I see Christ Jesus showing up in your life. Paul is, Paul is in this agony over these, these people. It's a powerful struggle that he feels this responsibility. He wants them to be just like Jesus, and he wants to make sure that nobody comes in and steals them away from this beautiful assurance that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of you know today that a good pastor cares for your soul? And I'm not saying I'm a good pastor, but I can tell you this. I look around this room today. There are many of you I have gone to sleep praying for you and woken up praying for you. That's a, that's a pastor's heart. And that is a true, powerful struggle. It was also a personal struggle. It was a personal struggle. Paul owned it. Paul said, man, I just, I just can't get away from it. This is my struggle. This is my heart for you folks in Colossae and also the church up the road in Laodicea. And I'm taking this personal. Did Paul have to take this personal? Did he start that church? Was it his responsibility? You know, we can make all the arguments saying, well, Paul, that's really not your... I mean, Epaphras did that, and you can encourage him, but at the end of the day, that's his problem. That's just not how a good pastor sees things. Amen? Yeah. You know, I was with some people this week that not members of this church, and, and my heart just broke for them. You know, and I, I spent some time with them, trying to encourage them. Because all God's people are my people. And all God's people are your people. We're in this thing together. So it was a, it was a powerful struggle. It was a personal struggle. And I believe it was a prayer-focused struggle. So, so Paul says, man, I'm struggling for you guys. Well, how, how, What's that look like, Paul? I, I think it looks like a prayerful struggle. And I think it's safe to connect this struggle when you look back in chapter 1 in verse 9 where Paul says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We know that Paul continually prayed for these people. And I believe it's a safe, as, as the Puritans said, a good and necessary inference that what Paul meant when about this struggle. How was he struggling for them? Was it all in his mind? No. When he felt the burden for these people, where do, where do you take your burden, church? You take it right to the Lord. Paul took that burden right to God in prayer and he agonized, he struggled, he wrestled through for these people in prayer until Jesus Christ showed up in their life. And in this we see that there is an encouragement. As we look at verse number 2, there's an encouragement here. Look what he says in verse 2. What is he praying? What is he wrestling for? What does he want from God, for these people he's never seen? Here it is in verse 2. That their hearts may be what, church? Encouraged. Encouraged. Now, we've got to ask her, so what, is it, what does it mean to be encouraged, for your heart to be encouraged? Now, I, I need to explain one thing to you first. I know when you hear heart, you, you think the seat of your emotions, right? I do too, right? That's not 
how that word was used in the first century. In the first century, um, that word heart would more equate to soul. It's the center, not of your emotions only, but of you as a whole person. It's your soul. It's, your, it's not only your emotions, but it's your intellect. It's your will. It's who you are at the core, deep level. So what Paul's saying is, I want to encourage you, body, soul, and spirit. I want to encourage you, heart, soul, heart uh, mind, and will. I want, to, I want to totally encourage who you are. So with that in mind, what, what does that word encouragement mean? What, let me ask you this way. What encourages you? Talk to me now. What encourages you? What's something that happens and it is, oh, that's so encouraging? Come on. My kid's listening. My kid's listening. Well, that's, that's also semi-miraculous. <laughs> but yes. Yes, when your children obey, it encourages you as a mom, doesn't it? What else? That's great. What else encourages you? Coming to church? Other people around me just out and about talking about the Lord. Amen. Same thing, that fellowship, right? I'm going to get into that here in just a second. Yeah. Just being with other people who love Jesus too. Think about that word, encouragement. That E-N almost sounds like I-N, doesn't it? And I like to think of it that way. And actually, the the actual word here that Paul uses, it, it means to be strengthened. And, and aren't you strengthened when you're encouraged? Yes. Aren't you? Doesn't it build you up? Doesn't it cause you to be stronger? Right? And Jay's talking about hanging around people who love Jesus and are talking about the Lord together. What does that do? It fills you with strength. Their strength becomes what? Your strength. And Paul says, here's, here's, my, here's my prayer. Here's my thing. Is I want you to be encouraged that their hearts may be encouraged, infused with courage, infused with strength. Now remember the context of this letter. There's a whole group of people that are worming their way into this church that are telling these folks some lies. That yes, Jesus is where you start, but it's only a start. You need more than Jesus. And then all of these crazy additions that you need to do and all of this, what really is is, is, a, is a demonic, world-centered activities to become spiritual. And oh, I'm going to tell you what, this is not a first century problem alone. We have the same problem today in this world that we live in. The same thing today. Well, yeah, you need Jesus, but then you need to do X, Y, and Z. No, you don't. You just need Jesus. And that's what Paul was saying. I want to encourage, I want to strengthen you. So first of all, this assurance for Paul is a pastoral priority. Number two, uh, assurance is a community project. It's a community project. Look at, again at verse number two. Paul says that your hearts, that your hearts may be encouraged or built up in strength. Now notice this, being knit together, how church? In love. You're knit together in love. And in that, I see not only encouragement, I see endearment. So here, here's Paul saying this is a community project, this assurance. This is something that you get from being around each other. Does this make sense this morning? Mom, you said it. What encourages you? Going to church, she said. Why? 
Because we're, and just what Jay said, we're around other people who love Jesus just like we do, and it fills us with their own strength. Colossians 2.19. Here's what the scripture, again, we're going to get to that here in, in, in a couple of weeks, but here's what Paul says. And not holding fast to the head, that's Jesus the head, from whom all, all the body nourished, and look at these words, and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. So here's this word, knit together again. We read it this morning in Psalm 139. Well, Paul said, you saw all my inward parts before there was one of them, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. And they have discovered through modern science that those cells in a little baby's body, when you look at them, they, it literally looks like they have been knit or sewn together. And what is Paul asking here for this assurance of the love of God and the presence of God in our life. He says what? It only comes through community with other believers. And that's why I got a big problem with people who say, I hear it all the time. I preach sermons all the time for really good people. And, hear, and I hear it all the time. He, they weren't much for organized religion, but they loved God. You ever heard that, Jay? Yeah, yeah many times, right? And here's the thing. How can you say that you love Christ, but you hate His bride? That doesn't work. That's why we need each other. That's why church is vitally important, so that we can remain filled with strength. Because Anybody ever get down in here? Do you, and, 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 and the Word of God says, look, I want to knit your hearts together in love, but here's the only way that happens. you got to get together, Right? you got to get together. Your pastor is, is begging God for this to happen in your life. And we're offering what we can to help you do that. We have our DLT groups. We have something even better than that. we got our D groups, our discipleship groups, small groups, where our hearts are knit together in love. It's a community project. You need the church, and the church needs you. And this, listen to me, I want to make this clear, this does not happen outside of this right now. It's vital. We need each other. Assurance is a community. It's a community project. I remember my dad, I don't remember him coming to Christ. He was, he, he was saved when my, I was too young to remember, for which I'm thankful. I've heard stories of the man he was before Christ, and it was hard to believe that was really my dad. Because the, the guy I knew was nothing like that. Now, there were some remnants of his unredeemed flesh that would pop up now and then. I would see that. But, uh, but this guy was, was a guy who really took his faith seriously. And some of that was his upbringing, growing, growing up in the Catholic Church. You know, missing, missing church or missing mass was a serious deal that could affect your eternal outcome. And, and that understanding kind of just flowed over into my dad's um, commitment to the, to the church that we attended, which was an evangelical church. And what I mean to say by that is when the doors were open, guess who was there? We were. I mean, if, if, if church had something going on, the Jettles were there. And like some of you, I look at the Mainers back there, my, my son-in-law and daughter that lived so far away. We lived, I don't know, was it close to an hour away, Mom? 
45 minutes from the church. And we would drive that 45 minutes. My whole growing up memories where it was that drive to church and that drive home, 45 minutes each way. And guess what? We'd go Sunday morning, and then we'd turn right around, go home and eat, play football, get cleaned up, and we'd drive that 45 minutes back for Sunday night service. And then on Wednesday, they had midweek prayer and Bible study. Guess where we were? 45 minutes. And then Thursday, Dad drove a bus. Uh, Thursday evening was bus visitation. Guess where we were? We were all over Manchester, Connecticut, checking on our kids that were driving, to, uh, hopping on the bus to go to church Sunday morning. Friday night was youth night. Guess where we were? We I don't know why we never just moved to Manchester, Mom. It would have been easier. But we lived 45 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour and a half round trip, at least minimum three days a week, sometimes four days a week we were there. And, I, you know, and the Lord did not see fit to open my eyes to my need for Christ until I was 15 years old. So I grew up in this environment. Um, you know, I don't know where he is. I tell my son Jack this. Where is Jack? Oh, there you are, Jack. I tell Jack this all the time. Because um, he doesn't like, he don't like preaching. And I don't blame him. Uh, he told me one time that, he, that God does answer prayer. I said, he does? He goes, yeah, he answered one of mine. I said, he did? He said, yeah, you were preaching so long the other Sunday. I asked God, please help Dad finish up so we can go home. And you did. <laughs> and I told little Jack, I said, Jack, here's the deal. You're not going to enjoy this until God changes your heart. And my, er, my, my, my fervent prayer is that God will change your heart soon, show you your sin, and, and, and cause you to turn away from that sin and turn to Jesus, and then you're going to really enjoy the preaching. But until then, you're still going to go because you're going to obey me, and that's what we do. But when you become a Christian, it all changes. Anyone remember that experience in your life, no matter how old you were? Man, I remember hating going to church, especially on Sunday nights, because when I was a little boy, when I was, and it was a long time ago, when I was a little boy, this guy named Walt Disney. Y'all remember this? Oh, yeah. Walt Disney came up with a TV program called The Wonderful World of Disney. And guess when it aired? Sunday night's church time. And I never got to see it. And then I had to ride to school with my cousins on Monday morning and hear all about the wonderful world of Disney. And I was stuck in the wonderful world of Christianity and I had to miss the whole thing. And I remember one time, I just I would try to slide away. Oh, I'm not feeling good. I'd make myself throw up, see if I could stay home. Watch it. And my, my dad was on to me. And so one time I figured, well, maybe I'll just try to read. I'm, I, won't, I won't try tricking him. I'll just be honest. And uh, we had cooked out some hot dogs that Sunday after church on the grill. And uh, dad was there. He was cleaning up the grill. And I said, Dad, they're showing uh, Old Yeller tonight on Wonderful World of Disney. I said, we go to church all the time. I said, how about you just let me stay home? I really want to watch that. Now, I know the kids in here, Andy and, and Jack and maybe Emma, are thinking, what's the big deal? Just go to On Demand after church and watch it. There was no On Demand after church. There, was no, there wasn't even a VCR. I remember when that came out. I thought it was most amazing. You can actually watch a movie whenever you wanted to in your house. None of that. You had to wait till whenever it came on again. I said, Pop, how about you just let me stay home? I'm not, you know, I'm just going to man-to-man have a talk with you. Let me stay home. We don't, I, mean, I go to church all the time. What's one, missing one evening service going to hurt? And my dad was a man of few words. He never said much unless you got him angry. Um, but I remember he, he said, well, it's kind of like these coals here. And he reached in there with the tongs that he was flipping hot dogs with. 
and he took one of those coals out and he set it off on a, on a sidewalk. And he said, now, now tell me something, son. He said, which of those coals is going to get cold first? The one off there by himself or the one that's around all the other coals that are hot? And I said, well, I figured the one off by itself. He said, that's right. He said, and that's why we go to church when the doors are open because we need to be around other people who, are, who love the Lord and keep our hearts warm towards Christ. And then he looked at me and he said this very sternly, don't ever, ever ask me not to go to church again. He said, we are gentles, we serve Christ, that's what we do. My heart was not changed by Christ yet, but I feared my dad. <laughs> and guess what? I never asked him again. <laughs> Can I stay home from church? Right? Why? We need it. We need each other. You're not going to have this assurance of, of the love of God, the assurance of the gospel, the assurance of your soul without other believers. It's a community project. It's a pastoral priority. And not only that, this is so vital, and that's where a good community of believers and a good pastor will push all the way into this. It's also a Christ-centered blessing. It's a Christ-centered blessing. Look at that verse 2 there. That their hearts may be encouraged. Look at this. Being knit together in love. We need each other. We, our hearts have to be attached to each other. Now this. And attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. This is the assurance that is Christ, a Christ-centered blessing. It's a Christ-centered blessing. See, how many of you can talk yourself into some stupid stuff? Right? Uh, yeah, a lot of hands going. We can talk ourselves into some stupid stuff. We can convince ourselves of some stupid things, can't we? Right? Um, someone, someone said wisely, I think accurately, that so, so many people, their last words are, hey, y'all, watch this. <laughs> and it's your last words. We can talk ourselves into some really stupid things. Um, and that's why we need this Christ-centered assurance, this Christ-centered blessing. Why? I can talk myself into assurance. Can you not? But here's the thing. That assurance is all the, every time it's based on my works and not on the work of Christ. What's the problem with that? Listen to me. If your assurance is based on your best works, the day's going to come that you realize your best works aren't good enough and your assurance is going to go out the door with it. Amen. I've often said this, um, and that's why the, the beauty of understanding the gospel and, 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 and the, the, the um, um, I'm trying to think of the, the name that, that our church fathers used for this. Um, it's basically the order of salvation, the order salutis. Uh, how salvation, how God takes someone like you and me, Jay, and lost and loving our sin and hating God. And then all of a sudden, in a moment, we hate our sin and we love God. But there's, a, there's, some, there's things that happen in a certain order. And the very first thing that happens, and listen to me, beloved, the very first thing that happens in this assurance, listen, has nothing to do with you. And it has everything to do with the move of God on your behalf, in you, for His own glory. And I have said this so often because you know, I've been a pastor for 35 years. I'll have people come to me and say, Preacher, I'm just not sure 
that I am truly born again. And here's what I've discovered in talking to these people over there and in my own experience with me. is simply this. The more you think you had to do with your salvation, the less sure of it you're going to be. That's just pure and simple. That's the answer. And the more you understand and embrace and glory in this idea that God is the one who called you, God is the one who opened your eyes, and in fact, if we understand the Scripture accurately, God is the one who redeemed you, who called to life that which was dead in you before you even had a thought about it, and all of a sudden you woke up and you realized, wow, I really am a sinner. I have really blown it. And I have, I have angered a holy God. And oh, Christ on the cross makes sense now. And when you see it, and with that understanding, as the Apostle Paul so clearly lays out, and Peter as well, in their writings, we see that God did it all. And all I am is the object of God's love and grace. This, this assurance is a Christ-centered blessing. It's centered on the work of Christ, not my works. I tell people all the time, the only work you bring to the table is the sin that made the cross necessary. Amen? And God brings the rest. He does the rest. And we see that at the end, end of verse number 2, where he says to, uh, that we would have the full assurance of understanding. I call, that, I call that the enrichment. That we would attain to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. What's he saying there? You think of all riches. Would you like to have access to all riches? What would you do with that? Most of us in here, it would ruin us. Right? It would. God gives us what we can handle. Uh, but what he's saying here is, oh, there is an enrichment here when we focus on Christ and what he did in our place and understand that it's not about us, but it's about Christ. It is so rich. And I love this statement here. Um, it is this, a loving community is the context for assurance, true, but its source is Jesus Christ. What kind of community are we talking about? How many of you know that even before you were a Christian, before you were saved, before you were born again, called out from death unto life, you had your own community back then. You had the people you hung out with. And that was a community, wasn't it? And it was a community effort. And they, they helped keep you in darkness, and you in turn helped keep them in darkness. Can anyone say amen here this morning? Yeah. You have, that, you have communities, community. It's just who are you hanging out with? What is it centered on? Oh, I want to tell you what, this community project that brings about this full assurance, it's centered on Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what builds us up, and that's what knits our heart together in this love, is that it is a Christ-centered community. I love what um, Robert Murray McShane said about that, uh, and I've used this quote before, but he said this, for every one look at self, take ten looks at Christ. For every one look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. And this is a beautiful truth in here, and it's the enlightenment that we see. It's the enlightenment, what does it say there? Of the full assurance of what? Understanding. How many of you today understand some things now that you did not understand five years ago? Oh man, right? Isn't it true? I understand some things today, this morning, that I did not understand yesterday. understanding and and God promises us through Christ I'm going to show you that here in a second this enlightenment this this full riches 
of a full assurance of understanding. We're going to get it all. Now, now let me, let me hit the pause button here. Why is he talking like this? Because these false teachers that are invading and infesting the, the small church at Colossae and Laodicea are telling them that Jesus is where you start, but you need to add to it to get this full assurance. You need to go through these hoops. You need to do these things, and you need to not do these other things. And then that will, that's what you add to your salvation until one day you get to the last ion, which were angelic beings, which is Jesus himself, and then ultimately, through him, you can get to the Father. Paul is going to demolish that argument right here. He said, no, full riches, let me tell you what, you got it now. You've already got it. They're lying to you. He says, uh, 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 a full assurance of understanding to know that you know that you know what you need to know about God and what he's done in your life. You, Colossians, have that now. Stop looking elsewhere. He is dealing with what's called the Colossian heresy through every one of these arguments that he's making this morning. And it's important that we understand that they were pushing an enlightenment that was man-centered and works-based. And Paul said, that is not enlightenment, that is darkness. And they are trying to blind you and pull you away from the beauty that is Christ. And Paul is demolishing their arguments. And look at what the scripture says as it continues here. The full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God. Now remember, Jay said it last week, a mystery is something that before was not revealed, but now it is revealed. And who was that? Jesus Christ, the Messiah. They knew he was coming, but now he came. And he died and was buried and was resurrected. That's the mystery. It's not a mystery that we don't understand it. It's a mystery that in the Old Testament it was prophesied. They're living just a few decades from the actual resurrection of this Messiah. And he says, you guys have been privileged to live during the time that God chose to reveal that mystery. Isn't that amazing? And that's what he's saying here. And where, where is this mystery revealed? Look at your scriptures. To the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. And there's an equation there. Of the Father and of Christ. This is where we get the, the, the first understandings of the triune God. It equates the Father with Christ. And a lot of people are going to jump through a lot of hoops to try to pull you away from that. And those people are not unlike the heretics in the Colossian church trying to pull them away from Christ as well. Well, we got a battle for that. And this mystery is in Christ alone. And look at verse number 3. In whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says, look, you can find it in one place. Don't believe what these people are telling you, that you got to jump through all these hoops, you got to stay away from all this stuff, and you got to do all this other stuff over here, and you got to go through them because, and here's what they were saying, because they have the secret knowledge that's going to get you there. You see what Paul's doing? He's using, he's using the false teacher's own words and turning it around to what the truth is and dismantling their arguments. He says, secret knowledge? Let me tell you what. All of the secrets are hidden, all these treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and that's what these, these false teachers were peddling, this wisdom, knowledge, and this understanding. Oh, we can give you great insights to all this stuff. How do you think things like the Church of Scientology are formed? It's this very stuff right here. 
Oh yeah, Jesus is the start, but you need all this stuff to get you clear, to get you to the point that you can, you can thrive in this environment. And they add all this stuff, and you go through these angelic beings. Folks, there's nothing new under the sun. It's the Colossian heresy repackaged for today. What's the key? We must focus on Christ. It must be uh, um, a Christ-centered assurance based on what Jesus has done. And notice this mystery revealed. It is knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Knowledge, understanding, wisdom about who? About Jesus and what He did and where He is. Knowledge, wisdom, or knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And let me just say something real quick, and then I'm going to finish with this last point. And it's simply this. Um, what is knowledge? Is there a difference? And these words are very specific in the language that Paul used, but even in our language, they still hold those same meanings. Knowledge is, knowledge is just info, information. Are you with me? Two plus two is what? Four. It's knowledge. We know that. We know it. Good job, Dozy. I heard you say that, or your sister. Somebody said four. It was Dozy. Good job. Yeah. It's knowledge. It's just information. How many of you know you can have information and have no idea what to do with it? Hmm? You remember your first smartphone? You can have information, have no idea what to do with it. Getting information is the first step. Knowing what to do with it is the second step, and that is what? Understanding. Knowledge is info. Understanding is know what to do, knowing what to do with the information. Well, then what's the difference between understanding and wisdom? Huh? Insight. An insight, and how many of you know that you can have the knowledge, you can have an understanding of, of how it works, but you can share that knowledge at the wrong place at the wrong time? You can say the, how many of you know you can say the right thing the wrong way? Huh? Y'all ever done that? It stings, don't it? You say the right thing, or, listen, wisdom is not only knowing the information and not only understanding the insights into it, but knowing what to do with it, when to do it, and how to present it. It is deeper. What is that? This is actually uh, the, under, the basic underpinnings of classical education. It's the basic underpinnings of how the, how the Hebrew people raise their children. That when you're little, you just pour information into them. Right? My kids... My little kids, the way we're educating them, I'm teaching them the endings to the five Latin declensions at four years old. They know the Latin conjugation endings. They know the passive. They know the active. They know all of those endings. And I could bring them up here and have them quote them to you, but here's the reality. They have no idea what that means. You say, preacher, why are you teaching that kid stuff that they don't, they don't, they're not using? They're not using it today. Their brain isn't developed to the point that they can understand that. But oh, the day is coming. When their body begins to change and their brain grows up a little bit, that we're going to teach them how to connect the dots. That's understanding. And when they get into my class in the rough equivalent of the eighth grade, they're going to use all those Latin endings. And instead of going home and having to memorize them, they're already going to be stuck in their brain. They're going to be singing that stupid song with those endings in it. And my kids still do it in my class and they don't have to work. They've already got the answer key in their head. Do you see what I'm saying? 
So that's knowledge. Jack's got the knowledge. He's got all of it right now. If I put a Latin passage in front of him, he wouldn't know what to do with it. But I put that same Latin passage in front of Sam, and he could translate it for you and read it to you in English. What's the difference? Knowledge, understanding. Connecting the dots, knowing what to do with that information. And then what does that turn into? It turns into wisdom. And wisdom is not just being able to translate that Latin passage, but being able to communicate it and present something of truth, goodness, and beauty. Reminds me of the story, uh, true story apparently, back in the early days of the railroad when it first was connected from coast to coast, these towns popped up all around it. And in, in one of these small pop-up towns, um, it was told them through telegram that this very famous uh, actor and orator was coming to, was going to be in their little town for the evening. And when he, when he got there, um, the whole town had gathered and they had a little stage and they said, would you please um, bless us with a recitation? And specifically, and they handed him a Bible, would you please recite for us the 23rd Psalm? And he said, I will do it on one condition, that when I am done, your parson comes up and does his recitation of the 23rd Psalm. And, and the parson agreed. So this orator got up and with great flair, with all the pauses in the right place, recited the 23rd Psalm. And the crowd went wild. It was a thing of beauty. But then the old parson, old weather parson got up, never even opened his Bible. And he began with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And his voice began to tremble. And through his tears, he quoted the rest of it. And when it was over, there were no applause. But there was plenty of repentance and there was plenty of tears in that crowd that had gathered, and a holy hush settled on that place. And after it was over, the actor went to the old pastor and he said, what was the difference? And the old pastor said, son, you knew the 23rd Psalm, but I know the shepherd. That's the difference between wisdom and knowledge. What's this got to do with Jesus? Everything. You know how we bring these kids? to church when they don't like the preaching because their hearts aren't changed yet. We're giving them all the knowledge about Jesus. We're giving them all the knowledge about the Word of God because one day, listen to me, the gospel is going to hang on that knowledge. One day God's going to open their eyes. They're going to take all that knowledge about Jesus just like happened to me at the age of 15 and they're going to realize I'm the sinner that the Scriptures talk about. I'm the guilty man who has sinned against the holy and a righteous God. It is me! And Jesus really did die for me. And eyes are opened. Repentance is engaged and faith is enacted. And God will transplant them out of darkness into light. And he will, that is the understanding that will hang on the pegs of knowledge of the gospel and the word of God. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. I don't know about you, but I am not satisfied with my children. I am not satisfied with any of you 
just having that understanding of the gospel. We must move forward. We must grow up in the faith and we must be able to present something of truth, goodness, and beauty. We must embrace and engender the gospel until, as Paul said, every man comes to be a complete, whole, grown-up follower of Jesus Christ who can declare this gospel with truth, goodness, and beauty. And that, brothers and sisters, is the wisdom that is in Christ in the gospel. And it's all, I'm not making it up. Is it not all right there in your text in front of you today? This is the knowledge which leads to understanding, which leads to wisdom. And as an application point, where are you in that process? And I promise you, give me two minutes and I'll be done with it. But the last one is this blessed assurance is a preventative measure. It's a preventative measure. Look at verses 4 and 5 and then we're done. Look at verse 4 and 5. Here's what it says. Now this I say, Paul said, I'm telling you all this stuff and I'm telling you this assurance is in Christ and in Christ alone and, and you got to do it together in Christ and that your pastor, you're, I'm, 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 an, I am, I'm on your side and I'm fighting on my knees for you and here's why. Verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone, put a pause in there, the false teachers that were worming their way into their fellowship, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. You see it? Verse 5, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. What Paul's saying is don't move. You don't need anything more than what you have. Just grow in that grace. This assurance is the preventative measure, and I call that one the enforcement Lest anyone deceive you. Paul said, I'm coming, I'm the enforcer. I told you all this good stuff to enforce the gospel and the simplicity of it. Don't add to it. Don't walk away from it. Jesus is what you need. You have the knowledge. It's come to understanding. You've connected those dots. Move towards wisdom. And the way that you move towards wisdom is not by rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ and giving in to legalism and giving in to aestheticism and giving in to this stoicism and giving in to all these other isms. No, the way you move forward to wisdom in Christ is to stay in Christ and realize where you started is going to get you to where you will finish. You don't need what they're offering. All you need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I will say that to you with great confidence this morning, lest anyone deceive you. And I have been powerfully and painfully reminded of that in recent weeks here. I have said it before. I know what I'm preaching. I don't know what you're hearing. And I, like Paul, am under a great struggle to see Christ formed in every single one of you. And I am not okay with losing any of you to deception and to a lie. So, in conclusion, <laughs> this blessed assurance is a pastoral priority. It's a community project. It's a Christ-centered blessing. And because it is, it is a preventative measure. So I want to ask you as we close today, do you have this assurance? That's the question, isn't it? Do you have it? Do you have this assurance right now? So what do you mean, Pastor? I mean, if you were to die on the way home, 
and you took your last breath in this, on this earth, and your first breath, you are standing before God. If the scripture's true, that's how it happens. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And you're standing before God, and he says, on what grounds should you gain entrance to my presence in this place called heaven? What is your answer? And if your answer is anything other than the simplicity of the gospel and what Jesus did on your behalf, you're in trouble and you don't have this assurance. Here's another question. Have you neglected the one another's of Scripture? Because this assurance, maybe you're lacking in assurances because you're not doing life together with your brothers and sisters. Your hearts aren't, aren't knit together. And assurance is a community project. Have you neglected the one another's? Are you going to your DLT groups? Are you, are, are, are you going to your D groups where we're really drilling down into what, what our faith is all about? Here's another question. Is your hope in Christ alone or is your hope in Christ plus something else? That something else will always decrease your assurance. It will never increase it. Please hear that, beloved, this morning. And then lastly, are you listening to deceiving voices that are tempting you away from the simplicity and beauty of the gospel? And brothers and sisters, they're everywhere. They're in places you would never dream. Right, Andy? They're in places you would never dream. They're in Disney films. Matter of fact, I have a little habit with my children when we watch any film like that. It's a little game. I, I say find, it's called the find the lie game. Nobody spends millions of dollars on a film and not try to sell you something. And they're selling you something other than the gospel. I remember one time, highly recommended film from a dear lady that was in our church. Oh, it's the most beautiful story. Go watch it. It was about this young man who was a total jerk. Right? And then his father pulls the inheritance from him. He, father's dying in his will. He says, you don't get it you know, until I see these things happen in your life. And it's how he turns himself around and turns into this beautiful person and generous and good guy. You know? And at the end of it, what was all over, she said, wasn't that, wasn't that a great film? We should show it in church. I said, that film was heresy. She said, What? He turned around into this beautiful person. I said, yes, he did. And he did it all without Christ. And that is a subtle lie. And what voices are you listening to that are pulling you away from Christ and say, yeah, Christ is okay, but you got to do this. Be alert and be aware. And the way you'll be uh, protected from that is by understanding it's a community project. Your pastor's praying for you. Hang in there. And do not move away from the simplicity of the gospel. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you in the name of Christ, our Lord and our Savior, and he is enough. I love how the old hymn says, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. And Lord, I thank you that, that you want us to embrace, to engender, to enjoy this blessed assurance that our soul is right with you 
That the gospel is true and that no matter what happens here, we will enjoy you forever because of what Christ has done and won through his cross work alone. And everything in this fallen world is designed to pull us away from that truth. And I ask that you would open our eyes through the power of your written word this morning as it was proclaimed. Answer these questions courageously and make the changes through your spirit that need to be made that we might have a great assurance, a blessed assurance, not of ourselves, but of what Christ has done. May our faith be in Him and Him alone. And may you be blessed as we seek to bless you this week. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand with me and we'll sing the doxology as we leave this place today. And may we go in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.